Good morning, Crossing family. Happy Easter to everyone at home, either listening on podcasts or on virtual church. We're just so excited that you're here with us today. It is Resurrection Day. This is the biggest day of the year for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad that you decided to join in with us today. Now, one of the hardest things about preaching a message about Easter and the resurrection is this. Y'all, we've been telling the same story for 2000 years now, okay? So there's probably not a whole lot of new details I can pull out or draw out that you haven't heard. It's the same story we've been telling for quite a while, but it's the best story that's ever been told. So I may not say a whole lot of new things for you today, but I hope I say some things that invigorate your faith and make fresh and new and real today all that Jesus has done for us by his death on the cross and his resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. So what better way to start out Easter Sunday than just by reading one of the uh, one of the accounts of Jesus's resurrection. I want to do that. I want to start in Matthew uh, chapter 28 in verse one. And I want to read Matthew's account of Jesus's resurrection. It says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen. Stop praise break. Come on, that should get you a little bit excited. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Can we stop and just pray for just a moment today before we get into the resurrection and all that it means? Father, I thank you that Jesus is alive today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you make the work of what Jesus did on the cross come alive in us, in your people today. I pray we would be alive. I pray we would be full of the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus, you are alive. And I pray we would do today what these women have done. They stopped everything and they worshiped at the feet of you. Lord, we wanna worship at your feet today and say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So in 1968, there was a neighborhood in Northeast Jerusalem where they were doing some excavating. They were building a a new apartment complex. And while they were excavating a hillside, they discovered a cave. And lo and behold, it was a man-made cave. Um, And what they found in this cave 
were holes, a lot of little holes. And in these holes, they found boxes. And these boxes, believe it or not, had bones inside of them. They were what is known as ossuaries. And ossuaries are just basically graves. They're, they're graves from uh, people back in, in Jesus's time. And they found a particular ossuary and it had on it, it said, John, uh, somebody named John. This was his ossuary. This was his, uh, his remains. And when they opened the box, they found something that was extraordinary, something that had really never been discovered before. They, uh, they found an ankle bone and through this ankle bone was driven a big iron nail. And we have some pictures there. You could look at it. And they, they dated this and it actually, they dated the bones and it actually dates all the way back to Jesus's time, uh, to the decades when Jesus was around. So we actually have found actual human remains of someone who has suffered through what is known as a Roman crucifixion. Now, just look at that for a second. That's kind of horrifying. <laughs> it's terribly horrifying, actually. And they actually did like a, you can see how they did, uh, they made a mock-up of what the foot would have looked like in the cross. And you can see where it went in around the ankle bone there. I mean, this is, this is horrendous uh, what you're looking at. Um, so I have a question for you. Whoever John is, how come when we, we, when we talk about crucifixion and we see this guy named John, this is not good news. This is bad news. This is horrifying news. This was a real person who went through a torturous death, a terrible death. Why is this man's public execution by Romans horrifyingly bad news? But when we talk about Jesus Christ, we call his Roman crucifixion good news. Jesus wasn't the only person to be crucified. I mean, there were thousands of people who were crucified. In fact, around the time Jesus was born, the Roman general Varus, he crucified over 2000 people at one time. The streets were literally lined with crosses. So why is Jesus's cross good news? What, what's the difference between him and everyone else? Why was Jesus's cross a victory? And so that's what we've been studying for the past month here at the church. We've been looking at the word atonement. Atonement simply means at one How can sinful people be at one with a holy God? How can we be reconciled to a holy God? This is what the cross has achieved. We've looked at it from a lot of different angles. We've looked at it from a lot of different themes. And, and but today we want to look at what is, the, what is the final goal? What was Jesus really thinking he was accomplishing on the cross? What was the end result? What was he looking for? And you can sum it all up in one word today. And that word is victory. Victory. Jesus is victorious. Jesus wins. And because we are in Christ, we are victorious. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. We have victory today. So think about these women who met Jesus after his resurrection. They would have nailed at his feet and worshiped him. And there would have been a hole in those feet that they were worshiping. It was the hole from a Roman crucifixion, but somehow the hole in that foot brought about a great victory. So before we can be excited about the victory, we first have to realize there is no victory unless there's a battle. 
unless there's a fight. And we have to realize that there was a fight, that there is a fight, that there is a cosmic battle, a cosmic war. And sometimes we think, oh, you know, God and, and, and the spirit world and that's all out there. But I want to tell you, it's a cosmic war, but it has very much affects our daily lives. It very much affects our real, ordinary, earthly, daily lives. You know, a few weeks ago, we were sitting at the breakfast table. I was talking with my kids. I was telling them about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. And my son, Silas, he's five. He's kind of inquisitive. He pipes up. He says, well, what about the bad news? What's the bad news? And it made us laugh at first, but he had a point. If we don't understand that there is bad news, then who cares about the good news? If we don't understand that there is a battle, that there was a battle, who cares about the victory? And so before we can celebrate the good news and the victory, we need to look at the realization of what the story tells us in the scriptures. If you wanna understand why Jesus is different, why his crucifixion is different than the other people that were crucified, you have to go back and understand the scriptures because the scriptures tell us a story. And the story, it doesn't even begin with the nation of Israel. The story begins with all of humanity. The, the, the story begins with just humans. <laughs> Humans end up here on this planet because there is a all loving and all creative and eternal God. He's a God who exists three in one. He's father, son, and spirit from eternity's past. It's a, it's a community that has been self-giving love towards one another. They honor one another. They love one another. And the outflow of their love, the outflow of their creativity is the world that we see. It's earth and humanity. It's who that we are. And humanity was made to reflect and bear the image of God. We are to, our purpose is to receive the love of God that he gives and then to reflect and mirror that love into all of creation. We are made in his image. We are made to have compassion and generosity and to give ourselves for one another. Let me ask you a question. How's that going? <laughs> How is humanity going for you? What about you? How is your, your purpose of self-giving love and just being so focused on other people and not yourself? How's that going for you? If it's going for you like it's going for me, not that well. <laughs> it's, I, I have failed to live up to what it means to be human. To fail, it just means sin. The Bible says we've all sinned, every single one of us. What does that mean? It just means we've all failed. We have all failed to live up to what God has called us to be. There was a mark, there was a standard of what it was to, what we were to be like to be human and we failed. We've missed that mark time and time again. And I mean, I am ashamed of the ways that I've missed that mark. Not just embarrassed, I'm ashamed of the ways I have failed, that I have sinned. And the thing about sin is it doesn't just affect my life, it affects everyone's life around me. Listen, sin is not some personal private thing. You need to realize that. When we fail, it's not some personal private thing, but we're connected to our families, we're connected to our community. When we fail, it has a direct impact on the world around us. 
We've all been affected by sin. And it's been this cascading avalanche effect that started with Adam and Eve in the garden and it's worked its way toward us. But God had a plan. And, and even though humans fail, God had a plan. God said, you know what? Even though humanity has failed, I'm gonna raise up a new nation. I'm gonna raise up a new people. And he picks this guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And I'm going to teach your family what it means to be a light to humanity. Humanity is so messed up. <laughs> I'm gonna give you my written instructions. I'm gonna give you my rules. I'm gonna give you my law. If you will live this out before all these other broken people, then maybe your light will draw them back to what it means to be human. But we all know what happens to the nation of Israel. They fail. They fail just the way all humanity has failed. They perpetuate sin in the earth. And then in Abraham's family, God, he particularly chooses one man named David. And he makes a covenant with David. And he says, David, you're gonna be king. You're gonna rule my people Israel. And you're gonna have sons. And one day there's gonna come a son that's gonna rule with justice and with righteousness. He's gonna free those who are, are oppressed. He will have an, a, king, a kingdom that lasts forever. But how did David do? Well, we know how David did, like the rest of humanity. He failed. He was an adulterer. He was a liar. He was a murderer. David failed in massive, massive ways. Why am I telling you all this? Because you have to understand the bad news. You have to understand what the story is all about. The story of the scriptures is this, that the story is always pointing us further and further down the line. Adam and Eve fell, Israel fails, David and the kings fell. The, the story is always pointing us towards something that we need. It's pointing us toward the knowledge that we need someone that can be human and show us what it's like to truly be human for us. We need a representative. We need someone to stand in proxy. We need to someone to stand and act in our place. We need a savior. We need someone who can breathe our air and walk on this earth and be victorious. We need Jesus. This is why Jesus came. Jesus comes in his words and his deeds. He claims to be Israel's creator and redeemer God. His whole life reflects that other, uh, other sinnerness. He's such a self-giving, loving person. And he comes to join humanity and divinity together into one. He comes and he sets his foot upon the earth. And when he set his foot upon the earth, he came to take back what was rightfully his. He came to take territory. He came to be victorious. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about a leader named Joshua, and he's a great conqueror. And the Lord tells Joshua, Joshua, everywhere your foot touches, that land belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. And you see, this was simply just a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joshua is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do. He's coming to put his foot on the earth and he's coming to take back territory. Everywhere he walks, he's taking it back for the kingdom of God. Jesus came to do business here on the earth and to do business with everything that held us captive. In fact, the very first promise about Jesus in Genesis 3.15, it tells us, 
after Adam and Eve have sinned, God puts a curse on the serpent that deceives them. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, from the very beginning, God had a plan of how he could take his good creation and restore it and renew it. God had a plan to restore his purpose for humanity and for his creation. A lot of people think the story of the Bible is this, that, you know, the earth is ours and we made a big mess of it and heaven is God's. And see what, what Jesus did is he came here to the earth so that one day we could all leave earth and go to heaven. And, and that's like kind of the story. That's like part of the story. But here's the real truth. Here's the whole story is that, yes, we made a mess of earth, but the earth is not our domain or something. It's, it's the Lord's domain. It belongs to him. And the whole story of the Bible isn't about how we can go to heaven. The whole story of the Bible is about how heaven can come to earth. You see, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is good. And he came to restore and to have victory and to claim victory over the earth. He puts his foot here so he can claim authority over it and restore and renew his plans and purposes for the earth and his plans and his purposes for you and I. The whole story of the Bible is God working to bring heaven fully back to earth. He came and he put his foot down. You know, in the ancient times, in the ancient Near East, when, when a king conquers another kingdom, what he would do is he would take his foot and he would put it on the enemy as a sign of defeat. And actually we see this again in the story of Joshua. When Joshua comes into the promised land into the land of Canaan and he conquers the southern region. The Bible says that Joshua tells his commanders, his leaders, come here, commanders, come here, leaders. I want you to do something. I want you to put your foot on the neck of the kings of these territories, because this is what God is going to do to all your enemies. He is going to put his foot on their neck. Can I tell you what Jesus came to do when he stepped out of heaven? He came to put his holy and righteous foot on the neck of Satan, of sin, of guilt, of death and hell. He came to restore and renew God's good creation. And there was a battle. There was a battle. You see, the moment Jesus set his foot on the earth, the storm clouds began to gather. A lot of people think, oh, Jesus was just having an awesome ministry. Everything was good. Stuff was just going right. He was reaching people by the thousands. And then he just had a bad day one day and ended up on a cross. That's not true. From the very moment that Jesus put his foot on the earth, the storm clouds of evil began to gather. Evil was going to converge upon him. Think about it. When he was born, Herod has all the male babies killed two years and younger. What is that? That's evil. That's a storm that's brewing. When Jesus is in the wilderness, he's tempted by Satan. Satan tries to trick him like he tricked Adam and Eve. What is that? That is the storm clouds brewing over Jesus. When Jesus was ministering, oftentimes demonic forces who had people possessed, they would cry out. They would say, we know who you are. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus would tell them to shut their mouth, to come out of people because he came to restore people and that their time was up. The moment Jesus set his foot on the earth, he was stirring up 
the enemy. He was stirring up the devil. He was stirring up stuff. What was he doing? He was drawing out the evil and sin and the powers that held us captive. Now, when I was a kid uh, growing up, one of the things that my brother, my sister and I all took, we took this thing called Accutane. I don't know if you remember what that is. It's one of those pills where now they have those commercials on TV. Like if you took Accutane in the 1995, then you are entitled. So anyways, Accutane, what it does is it helps with, I mean, it helps clear your face up from acne and it actually works. I took it in high school and I like, I never get acne anymore. I mean, it really does work. But the thing about it working is this is how it works. When you begin to take Accutane, it actually breaks your face out terribly. At first, it's awful. (laughs) What is it doing? It's actually drawing out all the acne. It's drawing it all out to the surface. It brings it all out to the surface. And then you'll notice it gets kind of, it starts shrinking smaller and smaller and in in a very centered location and it gets dealt with. And when Jesus came to the earth, when he came and set his feet on the earth, you know what he was doing is he was drawing out He was bringing out in the open all the things that held us captive. And it was all coming to a climax in the most unexpected way on Good Friday. Good Friday was the moment Jesus was crowned king. You know, Jesus calls what happened on Good Friday, his glorification. He said he was gonna be lifted up. He was gonna be king enthroned but Jesus was enthroned in the most unexpected way. This is what God came to do. He, he turns what we think is right and he turns it upside down. He has an upside down kingdom. He says, the greatest among you is the least. If you want to keep your life, then lay down your life. And, and see, Jesus does the opposite of what every ruler before him did. They took power for their own. They climbed their way to the top. You know what Jesus's glorification was? You know what Jesus's crown was? He was enthroned and raised up on a Roman cross. Instead of a king's crown, he wore a crown of thorns. What was he doing? He was giving his life as a ransom for many. You know, that story of humanity's failure and Israel's failure and David's failure. It was like this big train coming a thousand miles an hour down the track. It was barreling towards us. And what Jesus does is he pushes us out of the way and he steps right into the path of that train and he takes it upon himself and he lets that failure and that sin crush him. And the cross is the climax of Jesus's story. He came to let sin do its worst to him. He came to let Satan do its worst to him. He drew them out. He drew them in. They had really no idea what they were doing. First Corinthians 2.8 says this, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What was Jesus doing on that cross? He was taking all the powers and the forces of hell upon himself that day. He let evil do its worst to him. He let evil exhaust itself on him. And the, one of the greatest ways I can think of it, and I've said this before, but it's like, it's like in boxing, there's this move called the rope-a-dope. 
the rope-a-dope move. And, and Muhammad Ali is famous for the rope-a-dope. It's how he beat George Foreman. And he even said, I've got a move. <laughs> it's called the rope-a-dope. And he says, I'm going to offer my opponent a, a deal that he cannot refuse. He said, I'm going to open myself up to him and I'm going to let him beat me. I'm going to let him pummel me. I'm going to let him do his worst to me. And what was he doing? He was letting his opponent tire himself out on him. So basically his opponent punches himself out. And then once he's exhausted all his energy, then Ali comes in for the knockout blow. You see, that's what Jesus did to the devil. He let the devil exhaust all the resources of evil on him on that cross. And without realizing it, every blow that Jesus took, every stripe that he took on his back was for our healing. All the sin and and sorrow, he takes it upon himself until by the end, he has taken the complete debt of our sin upon himself. He has drunk the dregs of wrath upon himself. He took it all. Really what he did was expose the devil and canceled our debt of sin all in one event, all in one moment. So who did Jesus come and who did he put his foot on? He put his foot on the devil. He put his foot on Satan. Revelation 12, 9 tells us about Satan and who he is. But in verse 10, it says that now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accused them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Jesus came to put his foot on the neck of the devil. He came to put his foot on the neck of sin, the thing that has us bound, the thing that we we fail and we keep failing and we can't stop. But he puts his foot on the neck of sin. Romans 8, 3 says, for the law, what was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was condemning the thing that has us bound on the cross. He he puts his neck on guilt, the accuser. Colossians 2.13, it says, you were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross. You see the thing that the devil, he accuses us before God all the things, all the ways we failed, he accuses us before God and our guilt. We, we, we have so much guilt and shame. But you see, when Jesus took our sin upon the cross, he does away with the guilt. He does away with the shame. And, and now the devil has nothing to accuse us of before the father. Jesus puts his foot on the neck of death. First Corinthians 15 says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory. There's that word over and over again. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus. Death will not have the final word in our lives. Cancer won't have the final words in our lives. 
Jesus' resurrection will have the final word. And lastly, he puts his foot on the neck of hell, the great separator. Revelation calls hell the second death. Anyone whose names are not written in the book of life, they're forever separated from God. But John 3.16 says that God loves this world, that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He came to give us life forever. So how do we know that we have victory today? How do we know that Jesus gives us the victory today over these things? How do we know the cross really accomplished all this? And that's easy. The answer to that question is the resurrection. The fact that he's not in the grave, the fact that he's not rotting somewhere in Jerusalem, that he is risen. Romans 1 says, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, when Jesus rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday, God was vindicating his son. God was exalting him to the highest place possible. So every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When God raised Jesus from the dead, what he was saying was victory has been accomplished. What he did on the cross, he defeated. He put his foot on the neck of everything that has us bound. And we get this promise. I love this promise in Romans 16, 20. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. God leads us to put our feet Just like he put his foot on the neck of the devil, he leads us to put our foot on the neck of the devil today. We, instead of, we say, I'm not deceived, but I know the truth. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm free. I'm no longer guilty. I am the righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer dead. I am alive. I'm not separated. I can be close to God. And you might say, well, Chad, if, if victory has really been accomplished, if the devil's really been defeated, if sin's really been dealt with, then why do I look around in my own world and I see so much destruction? Why do, I, why do we look in our own and we feel so much chaos? I mean, it doesn't feel like Jesus has won the victory. Alistair McGrath tells a story of a man that he met that served in the army in World War II. This man was captured. He was in a Japanese prison camp for many, many days and weeks. And when he was in prison, I mean, he had many questions. He was wondering, you know, would he live to see the end of the day or would he live to see another day? He wondered about his brothers, the other prisoners who had been captured. Most of all, he wondered about the war. How was it going? Who was winning? And one day out of nowhere, some surprising news came. There was someone who was close to him. He could hear a radio broadcast. And the word came over the radio broadcast that the Japanese had surrendered and that the allied forces had won. And as he was sitting there, I mean, it's just very surprising news. That word kind of sank deep down inside of him. And he began to rejoice that the war was over. But as he was rejoicing, he, he realized something. He said, okay, the war is over, but I'm still in this prison camp. I'm still here. I don't like, 
Uh, the war is over, but my immediate circumstance hasn't changed. And in fact, it would take weeks before the prisoners would be identified and released. So a lot of his companions, a lot of his compadres are still in prison. They're still eating ration food. They're still in a prison cell. He said, nothing really changed about their immediate experience, but there was something that changed inside of them. And that was their perspective. Even though they were still in prison eating ration food, they knew that this circumstance was only momentary, that there was coming a day very soon when the victory that had already been won, the victory that they were assured of, that their circumstances would eventually catch up with the victory that had already taken place. And so though they were prisoners, they started to act free. They started to sing songs, they laughed, they cried together because they knew that their deliverance was assured. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you today, we are supposed to be people who act and live like heaven is already here because it is. When Jesus set his foot on the earth, he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. When he died and gave his life, he defeated the powers that held us at, at bay. And then when he rose again, he started a new creation. I'm not waiting till the very end of time to see new creation. I'm living in a new creation right now. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ right now. The kingdom of heaven is already here among us. And though not everything about it is fully realized yet, I'm telling you, the victory is assured. The victory is won. Jesus has done it. He's paid the price. So we are to live now like we're already in the future. <laughs> we're to live like heaven while we're still walking this earth in victory and freedom that Jesus brings to us. So what better response could we have today than those women who were at the tomb? Those women who they saw the resurrected Jesus and they fell at his feet, the foot that crushed Satan, the foot with the hole in it, the foot that the nail went through. They fell at his feet and they worshiped him. They didn't understand, listen, they didn't get a, a, a PowerPoint presentation on what the resurrection means. They didn't understand fully yet what all of that means. They were just in awe. They were amazed because the one who gave his life was standing before them alive. And I think that is the proper response for us today is that we fall at his feet and we worship him because those feet gave us victory. We stand in awe of him today. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your people who are at home today. I pray for those who are watching or listening, wherever they may be. God, we just take a moment and we worship you. We thank you that you are victorious today, that you came and you put your foot on the neck of Satan, of sin, of death, of hell, of guilt. These things you took upon yourself. They did the worst they could do to you. They tried to take you out, but you could not be held captive by death. You rose again. And because you rose today, we have victory. And we thank you today. And we worship you in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Resurrection Day. 
I hope your faith is fueled today. I hope you feel the victory of the Lord Jesus. And listen, if you need prayer, if you want to have someone pray with you, if today you need to receive Jesus Christ, if you need to repent and follow Him, I invite you to send us an email, let us know. We wanna pray with you. We wanna be able to reach out to you. Church, we love you. We hope that the rest of your day is awesome with your family. And we'll see you next week right here, virtual church, 10 a.m. or 9 and 11 live at The Crossing Church. Happy Easter, everyone.